Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and I am so excited to be chatting today with Juan Pablo Martinez, who is a sustainable designer based in Bogota, Colombia. And Juan's story is so cool. He started way back in the mid-90s, mid to early 90s, and he has got some really, really fun stories of traveling to Milan and Paris and working with Christian Lacroix and doing some phenomenal stuff at the beginning of his career, which really kickstarted his trajectory to opening his own boutique, selling his own designs, doing custom men's suit tailoring, and all sorts of other things that he's done to build his career over the years. Um, Juan has learned a lot of interesting and hard lessons about designing what you want versus designing what the customer actually wants and what's going to sell, as well as doing a ton of research into how he can be a more sustainable designer and a more circular designer and less contribution to the waste and the pollution that the fashion industry is unfortunately known for. And he has so many great stories and insights to share with you about how he built his boutique over the years and how he's continued to grow. Um, into the two th- uh, the late 2000, not late 2000s, where are we? I don't know, 2020, from 2010 to 2020, what he's done to pivot and adjust and continue making his brand work as the economy and the world has changed so many times over. And I'm really, really excited for you to hear his story and how he's done this all the way from Columbia. Um, he wound up showing at New York Fashion Week and has shown in LA and in Philadelphia and he's done a lot of great things that he's worked very hard for and Juan's going to talk you through all the things that he did to get there and get to where he is now. We also talk a little bit about the future of fashion and what he believes and what a lot of the data is telling us is going to be the future of fashion. And it might not be what you want to hear. It might not be what you think it's going to be. So I encourage you to listen through to the end where he talks about the future of fashion and and how people, designers, brands, companies might be able to adjust and adapt to that. So I'm really, really excited for you to hear his interview. As always, thank you so much for listening. Before we hop into the interview with Juan, I want to remind you that SFD is way more than a podcast. I have tons of free resources, tutorials, eBooks, uh, videos, all templates, downloads, all sorts of free stuff to help you get ahead in your fashion career, things on landing your dream job, getting more freelance work, launching your fashion brand, tech packs, illustrator, all the things, your portfolio um, that you need to really kill it in the fashion industry. And I want to make sure that you get your hands on those resources beyond what we do here in the podcast. The best way to do that is to head on over to soheidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. So go ahead and hit pause on this episode for 30 seconds. Do that. Drop your information in and I will send you the best of my best free stuff. Absolutely free. Um, 
If you are not on the email train, that's fine. I get it. I do also hang out on Instagram over at so Heidi as well. Again, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I. So I'd love to connect with you there. Let me know who you are and what you're up to and reach out and I'll uh, definitely watch for you there. All right. As always, you can access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the interview with Juan. Welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Juan. Can you please start out by introducing yourself to everyone and letting us know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Heidi, thanks. I'm really glad to be here in this podcast. I've been listening to your shows for about two years now. Uh, I'm a sustainable fashion designer. I turned into sustainability about 10 years ago. I've been doing speeches and I'm working in a consultant agency, and and I work on like different uh, kinds of sustainability in fashion. So that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm starting to. I live in Bogota, Colombia, and, and I'm starting to enter the the American market. That's like a, ten years in in a minute. <laughs> okay, I love it. Um, well, we're going to dig into it. So take us back to the beginning. Where did your fashion career start out? Well, I, I started at, at 12 years old, really. I, I went to an, old, an, an American Catholic school, and all boys. And at 12, I started seeing that I was a little bit different than my friends. And I found out that the, 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 the most immediate way to show that difference was through, through clothes, they were like really preppy and and uh, I, I I don't know I just wanted to be different some way so that and I started making drawing my my t-shirts and drawing my my jeans and I cut my hair very short and that caused a lot of a lot of steer I don't know why but people just started like um, pointing me out how I dressed so I I understood the power that fashion has to show our own identities. So that's where I started. I started looking at magazines. And when I went out of school, I started in Bogota. And then I went to Milan. Uh, I started uh, sewing and sewing and uh, pattern making uh, with Italians. And then I went to Paris to study uh, fashion design, proper fashion design. And I had the chance to work for a year with Christian Lacroix at his uh, Pret-a-Porter studio for a year behind. Before he went broke, he was like really big. That wow. was 25 years ago. That really? Was, mm-hmm. That's amazing. That was 96, 97. Yeah. So that, I, I learned, I, I didn't, I didn't went back to school. I went only on Mondays, but uh, from Tuesday to Friday, I worked with him in his studio and, and at the Prêt-à-Porter, but I had chance also to see his haute couture uh, studio, and, and had the two studios had some relationships. So I so I went through all the phases, uh, working from him from design to to the show. That was really interesting, and I, I learned a lot. Really, really, I learned a lot. And I used, like I told you before, I used to to I got promoted, and I had to do the the uh, flats for Christian Lacroix by hand. Yeah. And I did him like for 25 years like that till I, till I met the beautiful flats course. <laughs> so now I'm a survivor. 
And I, I do them in Illustrator. Thanks to you, Eddie. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad. But I'm also envious because you have amazing hand sketching abilities, which is something that I tremendously lack. <laughs> and your your designs are gorgeous. I've seen them. Um, so you started out, you were, you were designing by hand for Christian Lacroix. And is that right? Yeah. Way back. How did you get that yeah. opportunity to work with him? That, that was really funny because it was at, uh, at the Atelier Charton Savac. That was that was my school, uh, and we were down in like in a big big uh, classroom, and a girl came down, and she started to, to talking to other students, and they were like all chatting and, and laughing, and and so I went I went over there and told them what happened, and one of them said, uh, I just got offered a, a job at Christian Lacroix, but I didn't take it. I said, how come you didn't take it? Oh, I don't like Lacroix. And I said, so can I take it? Yeah, I go talk to them. Th- that was it. That so was I it. went, I went, I went to the studio. Yeah, but she she was French, you know. I'm from me I'm from Colombia. Having the chance to work with Lacroix was like a big deal. Yeah. For them, it was not like I don't like Lacroix, so I'm, uh. I'm not gonna work with him. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to the studio and I talked to my French was was really bad. At the time, but the guy who he was his like his right hand assistant, he was uh, from he was French, but his parents were were Spanish, so I had this conversation in Spanish. Okay. Uh, lucky for me, and he <laughs> said, "Show me your show me your designs," and I hadn't done anything because I, I was like two weeks into 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 the into my master master degree uh so i had to go back in two hours i said i'll come back right after lunch so i had to go back in two hours and do like i don't know 16 designs and in just two hours i didn't have lunch went back and he liked them and he said okay you're hired start tomorrow wow that's how it goes yeah (laughs) so how long did you work with him there 10 months okay a good amount of time months yeah yeah my visa expired so i was offered the job uh, in another department, Bazaar, that was his like uh, second second line. Okay. His cheaper line, but I had trouble with my visa, so I just couldn't stay, couldn't take it, uh, so I had to come back. You went back to Colombia, okay? Yeah. And so, and you had finished your schooling by then, I imagine. You were working and going, finishing up your schooling at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I had a show. I had a show in in Paris, like the like. Uh, and I learned something very, very important there because since I was working, I had to work on my, on my, on my um, collection, my final collection at night. I was really tired, so I didn't, like, my sketches weren't very good. And I, I showed him to the teacher, and he went so mad. Uh, he went so mad, and so I, I just went back and stayed like up all night doing sketches again and doing everything right. And next morning when I put up the, my, my clothes before the show, um, the director, Cyril Chardon, she liked it so much. Uh, she, 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 she brought in all the students from, from all the courses down to see what I had done wow. in a in night. So it was like really, really satisfactory for me. Yeah, that's to, amazing. But that, that taught me that if you want something well done, you have to put the time. Yeah, you do, you do. It definitely takes effort and hard work, and sometimes it means pulling some all-nighters for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you go back to Columbia, and and we're still, like, what, in, like, 1997? 1999. 99 by this point. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. 
And, um, and, and what do you do? What are you doing in Columbia now? So you, you got your education, you had a great senior collection, you had worked for Christian Lacroix and now what? So I came back and I started making these small, small collections. Um, I think I, I got noticed by the, I call them the powers that be in fashion in Colombia. So they took me and and I started showing in, in like in the most important shows in, in Bogota and Imagine, that's the other city where they show. Okay. And I and I and I uh like got real well known very fast because I had this like conceptual designing and I just came from Paris and so my designs were like European so like they took me in uh, very rapidly. Uh, and then I put on my my boutique. There was a, like street where we were, all these new designers. We were we had all all our shops, and and I was there for ten years until two thousand. That was from two thousand till two thousand ten. Okay, wait, but then, hold on. How how did you just start getting noticed in Colombia? So you came back from Paris, and you said you got noticed by the powers to be. You know, mm-hmm. maybe some of the big players in in the Colombia mm-hmm. fashion scene. How did they notice you? How did you put yourself out there? I started doing my own shows. Okay. Uh, I started doing my show, own shows, and, and I started, like, networking. You know, that I've learned since that time, I've learned that you have to, in a conversation, you have to uh, throw out some keywords. Talk about that. So, just like saying, I started in Milan, I started in Paris, I worked for Christian Lacroix. Uh, those three words, three words just open eyes. You know, people are like, oh, my God, yeah, you did, you, you talked to Tammy, you, you did this, you did that. Yeah. So so people get more interested. And I've, and I've always, since then, I've always used, like, keywords that I know that, that I'm going to get some reaction. Yeah. Uh, so, at, at, and I started doing shows in, uh, by myself. I, I don't really think that people, the designers used to do shows by themselves, like in, uh, in, in restaurants and... Uh, and art galleries and museums. Uh, so I got noticed really fast. Okay. And then press came and press, you know, that's like a snowball. Okay. Keeps growing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then you opened a boutique. Tell us a little bit about your boutique. What were, were you designing and selling all your own clothes there? Or what did that look like? I was designing. I was selling my clothes. Okay. Uh, since I had no... Uh, like business training, I did a lot of mistakes. For example, <laughs> uh, I just came from Paris, so I, had, I wanted this uh, like minimal boutique, all cleaned up, and and I had I remember I put on twenty four pieces, twenty four pieces, and I sold some things, but it, I wasn't doing really well. And then uh, a guy across the street, he was beginning to be a friend of mine. He said, "You only got twenty four pieces," and I said, "Yeah." So he said, "Okay." Uh, take all the price, take the price of each, and multiply it by 24. And and said, look at the at the answer. Is that enough for you to 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 live by? And I said, oh my God, no. He said, okay, you got you got to have three times in the store in in value uh, of what you're going to sell. I mean, if you want to sell, I, I don't know, a thousand dollars, you got to have three thousand dollars in merchandise mm. exhibited. Okay, gotcha. So, so th- that was like very eye-opening. So I had to change and, and begin begin to to make clothes clothes that people wanted. That that was that was a very hard time because, you know, I, I my ego was very big. 
you know, I came from Milan and working in, in Paris, and, and I thought that people were going to take, not the press and not the powers that be, but just the clients who were going to accept what I was making, and it didn't. So I had to change and be more commercial. But that's something that happens to most of us, most of us that go abroad to study. Yeah, I I want you to talk a little bit more about that because I heard you say something in there that really caught my ear was um, I had to start to make clothes that people wanted. So mm-hmm. I th- there's like a, you know, I think that when people think about going into fashion, they have this glamorous idea in their head of like creating all these really avant-garde designs and like what you see on the runway. But there's a difference between that and the reality of what you actually sell to the consumer, um, so talk a little bit about that. It sounds like that really hit you in the face. You're like, had these amazing pieces and I mean, I think some of them were selling, but at the end of the day you had to maybe reevaluate. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? Sure. And, and I, I should have known because I worked in, in lacrosse, um, showrooms and what was showing was not always what it was selling. Yeah. Uh, what went on the runway wasn't. The, the same things that were in the in the, the showroom, but I don't know, just got that cut, cut up with my ego. Yeah. So it's it, you gotta show, you gotta uh, innovate, you gotta show something that's that's different that cast that cats catches the the, um, the attention and that gets you on the on the magazines, that gets you on the newspapers, that gets you interviews. But then you have to get get that and decline it. And make a more commercial collection from that that you design. Yeah. Uh, and it's okay to do that. You know, it's it's similar to artists. If you start selling, they go, "Oh, you sold out. You're no good anymore." And it's not true. This is a business. Yeah. Uh, and and it has to work. And and you got to pay wages, and you have to pay rent, and you have to pay your suppliers, and so, so you got to make business work. So, 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 so I had to learn fast uh, to deal with with my creative side and my business side, and it's and it's the same for everybody if you want to survive in, in the fashion industry. Yeah. Uh, so you got to be really smart. You got to be uh, creative. You got to propose something new every collection, but at the same time you got to pay attention to what what clients want. So, so you gotta be like juggling between those two, those two um, subjects. What were but so, it, but it's ahead. difficult. It's it's difficult to understand that you're so creative and 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 the powers that be accept you and the press accepts you, but then the client won't use your clothes. So yeah. it's it's tough. So, I mean, I think, you know, naturally you had this really creative streak and this really creative eye to make all these wonderful pieces, but then it wasn't exactly what the, the client wanted to buy. Mm-hmm. So what were some of your, um, and maybe you still are, some of your strategies and ways you go about figuring out, okay, well, how do I actually design for the client? Like, what is the person actually going to pull their credit card out and pay me for? Okay, what I'm doing, there's, there's uh, I learned that that was like, 15 years ago is different from when, how I designed it back then okay. than how I design now. But uh, designers down here in Latin America, they, they wear clothes for special occasions. When there's a wedding uh, at night or during the day, uh, uh, graduations, I don't know, special occasions that they need a dress. They don't buy 
designer clothes for for every day. So I started like, okay, people are asking that they need uh, gowns for special parties. I didn't make gowns at the time, and and they need an outfit for for um, for a wedding in the day or wedding in the night. So I started designing and I started paying attention, and I just took like a like an Excel sheet and and said and started taking notes, t- writing down what what people were asking for. So, for example, they were asking for a lot of, of uh, short dresses. Oh, okay. So I started designing short dresses. Ah. And and I, although I didn't like dresses, well, I had to like them if I wanted to survive. <laughs> yeah, simple as that. So that's what I said. Uh, you got to decline your collection. I mean, I had this idea that's very creative. How do I make it commercial? And how do I make short dresses commercial that people like and, and I'm going to wear and, and they're going to come back and they're going to refer me to, to their friends. So that was most, more or less the process. Now, now, uh, now I design, I'm starting to design total looks because that, at that time I had the idea um, that people would buy like the dress for me and they would buy a coat from a shop nearby and they would buy uh, shoes from another shop and they would go and make their their own their own uh, look but but it's different now so I'm, I'm starting to design total looks so i got uh friends that help me say nah you're crazy we're, <laughs> we're not gonna wear that yeah and i go to pinterest and i find looks that i like and then i design uh, with those looks in mind okay so okay so back um maybe like 15 years ago you said when you had your shop um you were talking to people and kind of finding out what you wanted and for example they wanted short dresses who were you talking to were you talking to people that came into your shop looking around or okay yeah okay yeah i had to go i had to go i had i had an assistant i had um she was she was in charge of selling but then i said no it's got to be myself so i had to spend more time in the shop with the customer yeah with the customer and find out what they liked and Th- that was it. You gotta, you gotta be real close to the customer. Very I mean, true, in any yeah, business. Uh, in any business, I remember, I remember at Lacroix, he, he, he didn't even come to the showroom. He didn't, he, he didn't know what his customers want. I mean, he had a, a commercial department. There were like seven people that were in charge of, of selling his clothes. Yeah. And uh, thinking, thinking now, I think that that's what I thought. You know, just this, the designer in, in his studio designing and and. But with no real contact to the, with the customer, and, and that's not true. You gotta be real close to your customer. Yeah. Who was? Were you making all the clothes by hand? Uh, no. Ah, okay. Tell us a little bit about that, and like, where were you getting your your fabrics and your trims and all your suppliers, and what what did that look like? Okay, one of the short things that I learned when I came back to Colombia. People told me there was a big crisis here in '99, and a lot of shops had to close down, similar to what's happening right now. But they told me, don't, don't hire people, don't uh, put on your own uh, like factory. Uh, just hire—I don't know how you call it in, in English—but like little um, workshops where people work. I mean. I got one that makes only pants. I got one one that makes uh, sweaters, okay. knitwear, uh, one that makes coats, one that makes shirts. They're very so specialized. Have, yeah, they're very specialized, and uh, they're not under my 
business. I mean, you I just You don't own pay. them. Yeah, you just... No, I don't own they're them. They're like... I, a, they're a service provider. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that 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 was the first uh, uh, thing that I did. Uh, but I had two people working in next to my shop because I had to make uh, some alterations and some pieces like gowns. I, I just couldn't give them away. I had to be like on top of them. So they turned out right. Okay. Uh, so so that was like how I set up my my business, my production. Okay. And were you drafting the patterns, or you were just sketching and giving it to them, and they were taking everything from there, or? I started. I started making patterns. Okay. Because I, I, I know. I know. I was one of the first designers that knew how to to sew and knew how to pattern make. Because that's what I had studied in Italy. Ah. So I started doing my own patterns, and they were very good. But uh, I was I was having more and more work, so I I got uh, cut behind in, in some. I don't know. I had to hire someone, and I've been working with her for now sixteen years. I think. Oh wow! Yeah, a really long time. It, that's it so a, cool. Yeah, she's a pattern maker. She's an, an old nice lady. She knows a lot. She knows even even more than me. Yeah. So, um, so she she started uh, making all the patterns and, and cutting, because you know when when you're like a small designer, you gotta you gotta design, you gotta go buy the fabrics, you gotta uh, take care of customers, you gotta be in charge of production. I mean, like multitasking all the time. Yeah. So. Did your so you had your shop for ten years from two thousand to two thousand ten, and that whole time did it just build and grow and sustain itself from like walk by traffic and word of mouth? It just got out. Yeah, that was it. Okay, and I I, I had the chance to be in in a like, like in a block in a street where there we were like fifteen designers at the time, so there was like. Oh. A, natural traffic coming around around the street but then in 2010 things changed yeah what happened um it got i i think now we live in a global in a global economy so what happened in the states in 2008 just started like making these waves that went all around the world so yeah. i think that that had to do a lot with uh it wasn't only me it was we were like 14 14 designers that had to close down for shops, and at the time when I closed down, uh, I got a call from a friend of my brother, and he said, uh, "I know you're a designer. I got this uh, invitation from Geneva, from United Nations. They're making a, a show in Geneva. That was the year of biodiversity, and there's um, an institution that's called Redress. They're like." Uh, British girls that live in Hong Kong and they were organizing this eco fashion show in Geneva. Yeah, so, I know a designer who was in that recently. Okay, the, the, so so I started said eco fashion. What's that? And I thought it was like clothes made from hemp for hippies, <laughs> and <laughs> that's what it sounded like. Yeah. But I, then I went on on, on on the internet and I found that. There were, I don't know, these designers from Canada and some from the States that were making like really amazing things with organic fabrics. So 
So I said, okay, just I'm closing down. I'm going broke. I have to deal with all these debts that I have. So what I'm gonna, what I'm, what am I gonna do now? And and sustainability just like rescue me, because I said I've I've always wanted to to do be do something different, important. And it felt that like fashion was it was going like in a loop, you know, making collections, showing, selling. But I felt that I wasn't really doing something important, and I and I didn't have like a unique selling proposition. And you gotta have one. Yeah. I'm a talented designer, but in Colombia there's like I don't know, 50, 60 talented designers. If you go to the states, there's there by the thousands. Yeah. And so I had to have have something that made a difference and make me different. And sustainability was like the answer for that. So I started learning. I went uh, to the books. I bought the books and uh, on the internet. Ten years ago, there wasn't too much information. Yeah. But I started just started learning and doing, learning and doing. What so were, I had to close down my shop. And, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, what were some of the first things in regards to sustainability that you incorporated into your designs and your collections? Well, the first the first one is and it's like the introductory uh, way of getting to sustainability was with fabrics, sustainable fabrics. Mm-hmm. So we got um, um, a cloth that's made uh, from virgin wool, organic wool. Okay. And that's what the peasants use here in in the Andes. I live in Bogota, in the Andes, so it's really cold. And so they make this, it's called rana. It's like a squared um, piece of cloth with a, with a hole in the, in the middle that you put on, on your head. Kind of like, like a poncho or something? Like a poncho, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like a poncho, but it's okay. made from virgin wool. Okay. So I learned that it was organic wool because the sheep only, only fed themselves from, from grass. Ah, Didn't okay. have any antibiotics or anything. Uh, so that, that was the first thing I... That's what I sent to to Geneva. Some uh, coats made from this from this um, from this wool fabric. So that's where I started. Then I started using mixing different techniques. I have always worked with artisans, so they started knitting uh, my sweaters uh, with this virgin wool. Also uh, hand painted. I started um, working with zero waste design. That means you take the piece of cloth and, and you, I got a, I learned draping with with a guy that studied in the Champs Syndicale in, in Paris. So I learned to drape and I had to drape like zero waste. I get all the like the square, the, the rectangle of the of the fabric, and I drape it over the mannequin and without without cutting anything without throwing anything away you use everything so yeah i use everything so what i do is like a mix different techniques like recycling upcycling uh hand painting uh, hand knitting artisan virgin wool organic wool so that's that's what i've been doing for the last 10 years now We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. And so what did you do to sort of re-kickstart, um, you know, selling or, or, you know, like you said, it's a business. You have to make money to make money. Um, I mm-hmm. think if my calculations are right, you had a small baby at this time. <laughs> Two years old. <laughs> yeah. We talked earlier before we recorded yeah. about our kids. Yeah, yeah, so you had a two-year-old, and um, you shut down your shop, and now you're kind of like reinventing yourself a little bit. I mean, I imagine you still had some sort of a name, but how were you then starting to sell again or make money? That That's that's great. Nobody has asked me that. Uh, and this is something I don't usually talk about, but I've been making uh, tailored suits for men for 19 years now. Whoa. It's just, yeah, it just started like... With a friend, like I, I got this this piece of fabric, and I want you to make me a dress. And I said, like, I, I don't know how to. Just, I don't care. I know you're a good designer. Just make me see this this suit. So I made him one. Then I made him two. Then a friend came and asked me, to, uh, a friend of his, and like everything started like snowballing. And and in the, in that time, at that time, ten years ago, there was a difficult time. You know, I, I had a baby. Yeah. Uh, I had gone broke, I had all these debts, but I still made um, these um, tailor suits, they're very pricey, and just, that was just like, it, it kept me afloat. Okay, uh, why don't you talk about that much? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then I learned, then I learned it's, it's, that's part of the slow fashion movement, so, uh, because of, uh, this, is, this is like, uh, for men, finding a, a good tailor, uh, it's just like find a good dentist, you know, you go to a dentist and you always go to him. So it's nothing, it's not a thing that I'm going to promote or try to sell or try to talk about or uh, it's just like a more like a one-on-one business Okay. in referrals. So it's not something that I go, that I go talking about much. But I'm I'm glad that I asked that and you brought it up because I think that in a lot of businesses, there's sort of like what you see on the surface, which can look very glamorous and romantic. And then when you really dig into the maybe the nitty gritty or the finances of the business, there's often something that something else that is actually paying a lot of the bills. And so for you you know, maybe this has been an up and down with the men's tailored suits, but it sounds like it's kind of always been your baseline um, that's helped helped you get through the other times when, you know, maybe you're, you know, like we have to shut down your shop and this, like you said, helped keep you afloat. So, and it's interesting that like you just don't really ever talk about it because it's just kind of this part of the business that runs automatically in the background and maybe doesn't feel that sexy to you or I don't know what the right word is but <laughs> am I am I kind of saying the right thing yeah that's exactly what it is okay mm-hmm. that's exactly okay. what it is and these yeah. suits do you you do you custom make and tailor them yourself mm, no I learned how to do it okay. but it, again it's a, it's a question of time I mean yeah okay. uh, for a tailor to do um um complete suit like the jacket and pants trousers it takes about three weeks. I would take about three months, ah, and okay. it wouldn't be, wouldn't turn it right. So no, I learned how to do it because I I need to know how things are made. Uh-huh. I need to know, and 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 I gotta tell uh, you get um, my tailors. You gotta change the padding. You gotta 
change change the shoulder pad. I mean, I, I like I love the technical part of, of making clothes. Yeah. So so I learned how to do it with a very big and traditional uh, tailor here. Okay. Um, but then it's a question of time. I mean, it takes too much time to make. Okay. So you help jack, with the jacket. design and stuff, and mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the tailor does the actual fitting and and construction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, I found out that men men uh, like sometimes even more than the suit. Uh, for me to tell them they like me, they ha- they're gonna wear it with what what shirt? Uh, yeah, the what whole tie. design. Yeah, the whole design and the whole uh, like I don't know how to say it. Like the whole look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and that business just kind of started through someone who asked you to do it. And then it just, that's grown pretty organically Mm -hmm. word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I imagine so. Okay. So, so you're doing that. That's helping, you know, keep things stable while some other stuff is fluctuating. Um, and you're getting really into sustainability and incorporating that into your designs through the virgin wool and different textiles. And so, then what's the next phase? Because you no longer have your store. So how are you getting those designs out there? How are you marketing yourself? How are you starting to sell, you know, maybe 2.0, probably more than 2.0, but like kind of the next big step of your thing, of your, of your designs and your collections. Okay. The, before the next big step, I, I, although I, I knew I was like going back 10 years before when I was starting to show my designs and uh, clients were not going to understand. I made the same mistake again. So I went to a trade show here in Bogota with my sustainable line. And I talked, I remember it was like a 15-day trade show. And I talked to around 400 people. And only one girl understood what I was doing because she was she was a Colombian living in Germany. with a, his, Her husband is German. So she really understood. That was 2012. She really understood what I was what I was doing. But I said, I mean, I can't I can't live uh, with one person buying my clothes and understanding what I do. So I said, I gotta go outside. So I started writing to all these showrooms in the states, and I and I found out a showroom in Philadelphia, uh, Bel Esprit showroom and I had started doing some shows sending my clothes at first in Philadelphia and then in New York and then in 2016 uh, I, I did a show at the Newmart in downtown LA uh, I had a good reception and and then last no 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 last year um, last February I, I had the chance to show in New York during New York Fashion Week wow. like a small capsule collection but that that was a big step until this COVID nineteen came by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah. Um, and that was going to be like the like the real uh, you know explosion of my line and started selling and starting uh, exporting from here and getting into the American market. There's still some chances going around retailers and show, a couple of shops that are interested, but. At this time in June 2020, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Because I was going to show again in September. Okay, but that's probably not happening. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. I think things are up in the air for a lot of people in, in all different industries around the world. Mm. Um, so, okay, so you started 
writing to different showrooms and just presenting yourself. And I imagine, you know, that's that was a little more work than, you know, it sounds like oh, I just sent out a few emails. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that process? Because I think that that's something that a lot of people, you know, whether they're located abroad or here in the States or wherever, would have some interest in getting representation like that. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your exact process to present yourself and gain some some trust with them and catch their attention so that they're interested in you and what you have to offer. Okay, sure. Uh, first, I got, I got to give you credit because these I learned from you. I can't remember where exactly, but somewhere you said if you're emailing, posting on inter- Instagram, posting on, on Pinterest, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, if you're doing all these things, then you're doing nothing. You gotta like concentrate on what works best for you and use that as your marketing tool. And that got me thinking and said like, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm like a chicken without a head. Like running. <laughs> and so I said, okay. I think that what works best for me is email marketing. So I started I started uh, learning, just going on Google and how to email market. And I started changing how I presented myself and and uh, I don't know, there are a lot of like tips and instructions how to do it. And that, that seemed to work because I started getting answers back. And so yeah, you gotta find what works best for you. And and I took a course during this lockdown about um, and it, is, it says that email marketing is still the best the best uh, tool. Yeah. And, but but as I told you, I gotta give you credit for that. I've learned a lot of things from you. Oh well, thank you. I'm are, glad. Yeah. Probably a lot of things from other guests on the podcast too. I'm mm. I might, I'm just a platform. I'm just a sure. channel. I mean, of yeah. course, we all have our own tips and advice, but I know that people have shared tremendous advice here. So I imagine a lot of it has come from other podcast guests. So that's wonderful to hear. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the specific changes you made? So you said you kind of figured out. You said I'm going to focus. Email marketing seems to be my thing, and you did some some learning and some studying and is now you're taking a course, but you know, maybe before you start taking this course or, or you can even share some stuff from that too, but what sorts of changes did you make to your marketing? Because you said, Oh, it must've worked because I started getting re- replies. So what were you doing before? And then what did you change that, that seemed to move the needle? Okay. First, it's gotta be personal. And uh, second, I had to go, if I found a, like a retailer or a, or a showroom, I had to go into the showroom and spend some time on their, on their webpage and studying them. Uh, I, I, first, I, I needed to know if, if my line was okay for them. Uh, and, and finding out the name of the owner uh, and just like rewriting, rewriting the message in a more like uh, human way, not just like a business type, uh, like a cor- corporate email, yeah. but more more personal. Yeah. Uh, like sending out pictures from my collection, different pictures for each retailer and for each showroom. Like, I think this piece would be right for your line, for your customer. But if I 
if I wrote to another retailer, I'd probably use another picture, another piece. Yes, like being more tailored and more personal and more human. Yeah. That's, that's because at the end of that email, there's like a, a, a girl that she has her shop and, and she wants the best for her and for her customers. And it's not just like a relationship between uh, corporations. It's a relationship between a designer that wants to sell her clothes and a retailer that wants to sell your my clothes. So yeah. it's it's on the human level, you know. Yeah. That that made the difference, I think. I believe it a hundred times over, and it's the same for. I mean, I I don't want to get on too big of a tangent here, but it's the same for anything in life, you know, if you're emailing and you want to catch someone's attention, sending out like these mass generic emails are not going to do anything. Whether you're applying for a job, you're trying to get into a showroom, you're pitching for freelance, you have to do the effort to make it personalized and customized to that person so that when they read it, they're like, yes, this email was written for me. Like this person put in effort and they are writing directly to me. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. And, and, and show them that you're interested in their well-being. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I, I want you to buy my clothes, but I want you to do well, and and I know my clothes would, will make you sell more. Yeah. You know? Just, like, just putting yourself in their shoes. That's amazing. So, um, okay, so you started getting some replies and started making connections and then how did you get the opportunity to show at New York Fashion Week? Uh, I got an answer. There's there's an, an, like an organization that's uh, from some Colombians that live in Uruguay. It's called MOLA. Uh, and they're doing a great job with um, getting together designers from all Latin America, sustainable designers, and they do workshops and webinars and and fashion shows and a lot of stuff all over all over Latin America in Mexico and Chile in Argentina and Uruguay and Colombia. Uh, so I got in touch with them. Uh, they like what I did, what I do, and it was through them. You know, it's different if you if you go out by yourself, try to get a show in in, in New York. I, I tried to research that like two or three years ago. Prices went from thirty thousand dollars to two hundred thousand dollars, and said no way. Yeah. Uh, I've done this before. I'm not gonna do it in dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so it was through them. There was like, I, oh my god, nine nine designers from Latin America, and we went together. And for her, it's easier because she goes to a, like to these um, platforms that show make shows in New York. They're like different. It's all in in during New York Fashion Week. It's like the official New York Fashion Week, and there are these side shows. Uh, so she went to one of them and she said, I represent nine designers from Latin America. And so they opened a spot for us to show. That's It wonderful. was around in Times Square. Okay. And then, that was in 2019, you said? That was, no, that was three months ago. Oh February my gosh. 8. Yeah. Oh, it was like a month before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Lord. Okay. Oh boy. All right. So, um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about COVID. I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to not make these interviews focused too much on what's going on. We can't ignore it, but I also want to, you know, there's so much more to your story than just 
what's happening in these couple months and, you know, what will continue for a long time. But, um, okay. So that just happened a few months ago. Um, but prior and prior to that, you said you had done a show in LA too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, when was the show in LA in 2019? No, that was a long time ago. That was 2017. 17. Okay. What, what did you see come from that show in L.A.? So you went out and you did a fashion show. Was it part of any type of fashion week or anything? Or what was, What were the circumstances? Uh, no, that was in April. Uh, it, that was at the New Martins, this big building with all these showrooms. Okay. Uh, and it, it was more press-oriented. Okay. But truth is, nothing came out of it. Okay. But you got to... I mean, if I want something to to... to Turn right for me. People are gonna look what I've done. So I've I've showed in Philadelphia. I've showed in New York. I've shown yeah. in, in in LA. Now I had a show in in New York. Uh, so they're gonna um, they're gonna see what I've done. Uh, they're gonna see that I'm not a newcomer, and and that I've done things. But things did work from from the New York show. I got I got. Um, Proposes to show like in I don't know twelve cities: wow. Paris, Vancouver, LA, uh, Portland. Um, I don't know. Uh, and I got these two showrooms: one in San Francisco and another one in Paris that want to to, to work with me. Uh, so it, it got more attention shown in New York. You know, it's one of the three capitals, fashion capitals in the world. So. Yeah. It for anyone to show New York. It was a small collection. It was seven looks, and they're the first to know <laughs> that. I'm not, and, and people thought, back here, it's a big deal. Like, oh, you showed in New York. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not telling people, yeah, it was only seven looks. Uh, people want, can believe what they what they want, and uh, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. That, uh, Colombian designer is showing in New York, so. No, that's huge. So, so a lot of opportunities started coming in from that, and then the current world situation hits. So, where are you at now? Well, this lockdown, I'm really interested. I got two kids, and I know you got a four-month baby. And I know you must be thinking, and if you're not, you're going to start thinking about the world that we're going to live our children. Yeah. And it's, it's not nice. Looking at the, from the fashion perspective and how we pollute our world in, in with, uh, with with our uh, with our businesses and our industry, it's not it's not nice. So um, I took it upon myself to start spreading the word. That was like several years ago. So I gave speeches, and this lockdown, uh, I just like. Thought about it, and, I'm, and I, I started a consulting agency on fashion design, uh, sustainable fashion design. So I went to the Chamber of Commerce and told them that I, I'm doing this. I'm giving a webinar to around 180 um, people from the industry here in, in, in Bogota on, on Friday. And when I started, I took I took your your uh, beautiful flats. Um, course because I wanted to start it in, in freelancing design but uh, as a sustainable designer and 
when I when I started promoting myself, people were like, "Okay, what's what's sustainable design?" Or I'm already sustainable because I use natural fabrics. Like, yeah. okay, that's that's not necessarily sustainable. So I started. I, I had to explain to them what what was sustainable design, what sustainable fashion, how have, how fashion industry is affecting the world right now. Uh, it it was it took me so long to 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 explain to them that I said, okay, this is not working. I'm not getting the job as a finance designer. And so I went back and said, okay, I'm going to build this. This was uh, like a couple of months ago during lockdown. Um, I'm going to build my consulting agency. I'm going to show uh, the industry or, or, or uh, factories or businesses what sustainable fashion is. And then it's going to be easier for me to start offering my freelance design services so that's that's um, what I'm going to do now so educating first yeah and then through that spreading awareness about what you have to help those people implement what you've taught them to genuinely be sustainable I mean in a very exactly. short sense yeah okay. exactly okay and, and here's something that I'm gonna I'm gonna say on Friday and it's gonna be a huge like a uh, I don't know, people are going to hate me and insult me and everything, but I got to tell them that secondhand clothing is going to be it's going to be the next big thing during this decade. I mean, you're going to keep producing and producing uh, new clothes, but more and more people are going to buy secondhand clothing, clothing. So all these businesses are going to are going to have to they're going to have to um, either adapt a new line, second-hand line, or they're going to, I don't know, they're going to have to change how they make clothes right now because it's happening and it's huge. I mean, it's like a $51 billion business in by 2023. Second-hand, second hand. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't and know it was growing that fast. About, uh, and nobody's talking about it. Uh, and, and it's like a big tsunami that's coming our way and and uh businesses are not looking at that even less now i mean everyone's trying to survive some somehow but it's it's going to change and generation z buyers and uh are going to change the industry that already happened with forever 21 you know they had to close like 180 stores because they didn't go on time on on um Electronic commerce, is that how you say it? Yeah, e-commerce, and yeah. E-commerce, and, and they didn't pay attention to sustainability issues, and, and their clients changed. So it's gonna be a, there's going to be a big, 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 big uh, change in the industry this it, decade. Yeah, it goes full circle back to what you said at the beginning when you had your shop. You, At the end of the day, you can't make what you want to make. You have to talk to your customer and make what your customer wants. That, yeah. Or maybe if is this, in this in this case you're saying it's not making it's maybe sourcing. So how could you get creative and you can source and create these assortments from all these amazing secondhand pieces um, based on mm-hmm. what your customer might want, but they don't have the energy to go out and buy it or find it or hunt for it or maybe they just don't even know where to look or how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that the industry is going to go that direction and or is going that direction? It's uh, Generation Z. Uh, there's like in, I, I was 
reading last night, it's going to be 72 million Generation C customers in in uh, only in America. Uh, there's there's the one they're the ones that were born between 1997 and 2010. Okay. Um, those that were born into 1997, they have different um, buying habits, and they're starting this year, or they were starting this year to enter the workforce. So they're gonna earn some money, and they spend in a different way than we do. Uh, one in every three. Uh, Generation Z kids <laughs> <laughs> buy secondhand. So, if you had like a hundred percent of the of the cake, now you have only sixty six percent of the cake because thirty three percent are buying secondhand. Yeah, and you just can Google it. I mean, secondhand clothing, and you'll see the the data and and the numbers I mean it's like can you remember exactly it's like 24 billion business right now but it's going to be 51 billion in three years yeah double so it's just yeah. like yeah so it's just like looking around what's happening here in Colombia and you think it's going to be the same in the states uh, there are I don't know how many but Facebook uh, groups that that sell between girls uh, secondhand clothing uh, there's Apps that sell secondhand clothing. There's uh, web pages that sell secondhand clothing. Uh, there's one in the street really big. I can't remember the, the the name right now. He's got 1,200 employees all around the states. They got thousands, thousands of pieces. Can't remember the name. I'm not sure. So it's it's a big, big thing. Yeah. It's growing. Uh, I love I love how you guys changed the word from secondhand. Now it's called pre-owned. It's <laughs> more, more, you know, more chic, more yeah, beautiful yeah, yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's what's happening right now. But it's like a, I, that's why I tell you, it's like a tsunami. You don't see it, and when it hits the shore, it's probably it's going to be too late for many industries. So what are you doing to adapt to this tsunami that you see coming? <laughs> Not me, no. Uh, no, no. Well, no, no, no. Well, I, I started talking with my, with my uh, uh, artisan that makes hand knitting, my hand knitting sweaters. So it's not secondhand, but it's more circularity that, that I'm interested in now. Um, and, and I talked to her, is it possible for a client that has worn my sweater for like, uh, I don't know, six months, a year, two years, to give it back to me, and then we can like, take it apart and make something new. He said, yeah, we have to wash it, and just like a, a procedure, but I can use that yarn and make something again. So I'm more interested in circularity right now, uh, more than secondhand. Okay. Secondhand is more like for bigger, bigger, um, bigger shops and bigger... Uh, businesses not for me I'm still small so maybe just working with your customers directly to repurpose what they already have of yours yeah okay that's very cool that's very cool um 
And I have to, this is a little out of the blue, but I have to give a quick shout out and I'll, I'll include a picture and, and I feel terrible that I haven't sent a picture, but you sent me this amazing coat. Um, that's phenomenal. Yeah. I was pregnant when you sent it. So it fit, but like not, it didn't look that great. No offense. It was more my body. <laughs> no, right. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you didn't know I was pregnant when you sent it. Um, no. yeah. So, and now it's summer and it's like a hundred degrees. Um, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, and I'm going to, I'll make sure that there's a picture included in the show notes of this coat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, and I also want you to send, um, send us some other pictures that we can include of some of the work and some of the stuff you've talked about, like maybe some of the short dresses, like if you have some stuff from like way back, these short dresses that you were talking about and some of your other stuff that you've mentioned in the episode, I, I know listeners would love to see it. Um, okay. And you had a cool story about where you got the wool for the coat that you made. Yeah. Can you just tell that really quickly and, and some of the stuff that's happening in Colombia with in regards to, you know, materials and supplies? Well, there are a couple of, of um, uh, fabric companies that are making some. Um, they work with American companies. So so they, they had to turn into sustainability like really, really quick and really deep uh there's um, how do you say it in english pt fabrics that's plastic bottles they turn into uh, small filaments again and they make they make these fabrics again yeah so i'm going to start working with them uh using their 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 uh their fabrics but I would, I would prefer to talk about my collection, the one that I showed in, in New York. Okay, go ahead. Uh, you, you, you know that soccer is a big thing in the world, probably not that big in the States, uh, but it, it's it's the same thing with like a football and basketball. And right. They're all these t-shirts that, made, that are made from 100, 100% polyester. Uh, and like these soccer t-shirts are the new fast fashion, you know, because... There's a, like a new season, and the new season, then the, the, the team changes the entire uniform, and they got the home uniform, and the away uniform, and the training uniform. So it's like three uniforms, and kids all over the world like, go like crazy, and they have to have the latest uh, uniform that Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo has. And they're really so, expensive. My sister got sucked oh into God. buying one for my nephew and she didn't realize the price and she got up to the cash register and my nephew had already pulled the tag off and was wearing it. And they were like, oh, it's like $200. And she's like, what? It's They're crazy. It's, yeah, because they got to pay this soccer the royalties. players. Soccer yeah. Star, yeah. yeah, 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 the licensing. It's so expensive. It's so expensive. Yeah. And, okay, so anyways, keep uh, going. I, Sorry. <laughs> At the time of the World Cup in Brazil, my kid was eight, I think, eight. He had 43 uh, oh, soccer t-shirts. Some I had bought, some uh, my wife had bought, some uh, his cousins had given to him, but I said, like, nobody needs 43 soccer t-shirts. <laughs> nobody. From different from different teams. He was into Barcelona and into Real Madrid and toured, uh, like, three different local uh, teams right, right right here, and it's and it's. Uh, I mean, during World Cup, it's like millions and millions and millions of, of tears. Uh, in Colombia, company made Adidas made like 
on nine million T-shirts for the World Cup for oh the last World gosh. Cup. Oh my gosh! Yeah, nine million, and that's only in Colombia. So take into account all the national leagues that are playing the World Cup, all the uh, local leagues. Uh, I play I play soccer every Sunday at seven a.m. and we change uniform every 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 year. Uh, so it's like millions of T-shirts that go into waste. And it's plastic. It's 100% plastic. Yeah. So uh, I had to do something. I always feel like I have to do something, like at least raise awareness. And so I, I asked my my teammates to give me them, give me my their their old T-shirts, and I recycled them and made clothes from uh, recycled soccer T-shirts. Oh, and that's what you showed in New York. That's what I show in New York. And oh, that's, amazing. Those are going to be the, the pictures that I'm going to send you. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to see the pictures. I remember seeing some of your hand sketches of this way back when you oh, were yeah. in our, our fifth community, our fashion industry fence community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those it'll are come. The ones. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. It'll be coming uh, oh, full oh, circle. Yeah, I'll show I'll show the, the original sketch and then yeah. the picture. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see it. Mm hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so excited about everything, Juan. You are phenomenal. You are just so driven and smart and ambitious and really passionate about what you do. It comes out in everything um, that I see and hear from you. So I, I love it. It's been so great to chat with you on the show and to have you as a guest. Um, and thank you for your time and sharing all of your stories and insights with everybody listening. Um, I'd love to ask you what I ask everyone at the end of the interview, and you probably know this question is coming. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Oh, my God. I've listened to so many podcasts, and I've, every time that question comes out, I, I got the answer, but now I'm blanked. <laughs> so... Uh, No, I I don't know. I went blank. I just wa I want to say something on the side. It's probably not going to answer that question. That's okay. But, Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, I've learned a lot from you. Yeah. Being in South America, with uh, it's not it's not so easy to be like very creative in a country that doesn't really accept what you're what you're doing yeah so finding out uh somebody that's that's uh working and trying to do try to make you a better designer is not easy yeah well thank you and, so, and i'm really glad to to help share the support and do what i can and um i appreciate that so you're welcome and, and thank you for being on the show and telling everybody you know what you've done and where you've come from is great insights, and I know there's a lot for people to learn from you as well. So I'm excited to to post this and and have everybody learn from you. So thank you. Thank you, Heidi. Yeah, and where can everybody um, connect with you and find you online? Uh, my website is uh, jpmecofashion.com. Okay. And my Instagram is at jpmart. Seven zero the numbers seven zero. Okay. JP Mart seventy. JP Mart seventy. Okay, awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes so people can reach out to you and see all the wonderful work. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Juan. Thank you, Heidi. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Thank you, Juan, for sharing your story. That was wonderful. And a big thank you, too, to my husband, Mark, who handles all the tech and editing behind the scenes, as well as my right-hand girl, Tara, who does so much to make this show possible, making sure it gets published up on iTunes and on the website and that the guests get coordinated and oh so much you have no idea what goes into a podcast and Tara does a tremendous amount of it so thank you Tara you are a badass and again thank you for listening I appreciate each and every one of you and really really love having you tune into the show as a quick reminder SFD is way more than just a podcast to get access to my best free resources to help you get ahead in the fashion industry head on over to soheidi.com slash email it's s-e-w-h-e-i-d-i.com slash email and if you think this episode and the successful fashion designer podcast deserve a five-star rating we would love to get that from you please take 20 seconds to do that on apple Podcasts. it means so much it helps get the show more coverage it helps spread awareness about the show and helps get more listeners to get all this valuable information that we share here. So please take 20 seconds and give us a review on iTunes if you haven't yet done that. We really appreciate it. As always, you can scroll down to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode. And thank you so much again for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.